Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Battles, a strength and conditioning coach and the founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism. The Practice Brave Podcast brings you the relatable, trustworthy, and transparent health and fitness information you're looking for when it comes to coaching, being coached, and transitioning through the variables of motherhood and womanhood. If you're a pregnant or postpartum athlete or a coach working with this population, this show is specifically designed for you. All right, let's get started. Hey guys, I'm so excited to be here today with my friend, Dr. Juan Michelle Martin, and she's a pelvic health physical therapist in Atlanta. And today we are talking about everything that is taboo, everything that is happening to a lot of different women, whether they choose to speak to it or not. And it's not just the shame and embarrassment that maybe they feel within themselves, but they can't talk to their partners, they can't talk to their doctors, or they choose not to because they feel like this is just me or it's embarrassing. I don't even understand what's happening with my body. And so I hope this podcast today acts as a way to bridge a conversation and connect you with resources and help and hope and not feeling alone with any of the symptoms that you're experiencing. So I think the title that I decided to go with (laughs) is Sex, Pee, Poo, and All That's Taboo. So on that note, Dr. J, thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. We get to talk about all things vagina. (laughs) (laughs) We were saying, yeah, we were saying earlier, she's going to pull all the awkwardness out of me with this, with this conversation today, but I think it's good because we can all just talk openly and yeah. honestly, and I think that that is such, it's been a huge help for me. I'd say like over the last five years is just being a little bit more open, open-minded, open in conversations and talking about things because you realize that we can speak truth to what we experience or mm-hmm. what we want to learn more about and we shouldn't feel embarrassment or shame. So I really hope this episode helps us dive into a little bit more and I hope you guys enjoy it. So yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Give, give us some context on what you do and why we're talking about this. <laughs> so I'm Dr. Joanne Michelle Martin. I go by Dr. J. I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist, doula, women's wellness coach. I'm in Atlanta, also licensed in New York and Florida. And I, you know, I see men, women, and kids for pelvic floor issues, mostly women. But I mean, the, the struggles are real, y'all. <laughs> it's a lot that happens. There, there are a lot of issues that we have to deal with. and I mean, I've been, I've been a therapist for 13 years and it just amazes me when people come in to the office or they call me to schedule a session or whatever. And they go, I didn't know this existed. And I'm hopeful that one day people will stop telling me that, (laughs) but it still amazes me because they, they would say, you know, I've dealt with this problem for so long. I didn't know that this existed. And I'm like, Oh, when we got to do a better job of getting the word out (laughs) way better job because there's still so many people who think that you know they have to live with the issues that they have and and I think for me that's the disheartening part because you know it's it's not typical conversation it's not it's not the stuff we speak about openly it's or my grandma would say I always mention grandma it's not polite table conversation (laughs) it's not ladylike you know and we would joke about that she's like people don't want to talk about that that's not ladylike which, you know, she was happy to chat about it. But I mean, again, it's, it's amazing how, you know, how much people aren't aware, um, you know, or that they're going to 
to physicians still in this day and age who are telling them if they're dealing with pain, oh, well, it's just in your head. Don't worry about it. You just need to relax. Drink a glass of wine. Do you know what I mean? And and just kind of discounting those fears and concerns that people have. Absolutely. I sometimes have to laugh at how my career has evolved because I thought I would be like, you know, around athletes in a maybe collegiate or professional setting and barbells dropping. And now I'm like, oh, well, actually we're talking about vaginas and we're talking about sex and we're talking about these, these things that I didn't know existed. And uh, I mean, prior to even getting pregnant, I hardly understood how my cycle worked. Like we're not taught about anything about our body, even with being raised by mothers with good intentions, there's still just a disconnect with what we understand about our body and our development and our sexuality and like what is quote unquote like normal function and experience. Mm-hmm. And they haven't been taught by their mothers and they haven't been taught by their mothers. And it's been this repetitive and redundant cycle where, you know, even now there are a lot of women who they're adults and they couldn't go to their moms and ask them about anything, you know, sexually related. They, they're like, I would be mortified. Um, mm-hmm. I had a young lady recently who said that to me. She was calling um, to schedule a consult for pelvic pain because she's a newlywed. She, they, they were able to consummate their marriage, but you know, barely. <laughs> and but she's like, I hate sex. It's painful. It's miserable. And I feel like my husband's going to leave me because I just don't want to do it. They hadn't been married one year. <laughs> and it's sad. And I was like, you know, well, tell me a little bit more about sex and, you know, the, just the context of which it was, it was described to you. And, oh, we didn't talk about sex in my household. We, you don't talk about that. Yeah. I'm like, okay, do you have any older siblings? Nope. I have a younger sibling who's 10 years younger. I said, have you, ever, have you spoken to your mom since being married? Nope, we don't talk about sex. So she literally had nowhere to go. She had no resources and, and the fr- female friends that she did have, well, all of them were like shacking it up. They were having a grand old time, no pain, you know, no problems. So they all just thought she was crazy. Right. And, you know, so she had nowhere to go and she just felt like an outsider because she's like, what is wrong with my body? You know, why is my body not working the way it's supposed to? How come everybody else is having fun and I am here suffering and struggling and all that stuff. So Right. And I know there's so many people that experience a variety of symptoms that they feel embarrassed to admit to, or they just assume, well, well, I guess I, this is normal because I've had three kids now. And so, yeah, everything's taken a beating. So this is just what it is now. So can you tell us like, what are a lot of symptoms and experiences that you see in your practice that you think that I guess when people come to you, they don't even realize isn't part of, doesn't have to be part of their life. Like, what do you see most often? One of my favorites is incontinence. And by incontinence, I don't mean the, oh crap, I just peed my pants, you know, Mm -hmm. full all out flood. It's, you know, the women who will say, well, I'm like, you know, are you having any leaking? No, I don't leak. I mean, I leak a little bit, but it's not, not enough to fill a pad. So it doesn't count. And then I have to go on to explain to them that in a normally functioning body, you know, if everything was functioning the way that it should, you shouldn't leak at all. Um, So whether it's a little bit of a leak, whether it's a big gush, it's still a leak. You know, it's like looking at your faucet 
and seeing a drip, you know, like it's not like you turn on the pipe and it's gushing water. But if you have a little drip, like, you know, your faucet is not supposed to be continuously dripping. Like when you turn it off, it should be off. When you turn it on, it should be on. And so having people wrap their minds around that, they're like, oh, so that's not normal. Right. I'm like, no, it's not. Women who assume that sex is just not going to be great again. And I feel like I should have a slogan. Let's make sex great again. Like that should be my slogan for 2020. Yeah, I'll get behind but, that um, slogan. <laughs> but, but a lot of women are just like, yeah, sex, you know, I've had two kids, you know, this, I, it's time to be a mother. And, I, and I, then I have to have the conversation with them. Does being a mother make you less of a woman? And they're like, what? You know, like you, you could listen. You could still be, you know, the dopest mom, like the flyest mom and have like earth shattering sex. Doesn't make, you can still be a great mom having earth shattering sex. Like the, the two don't have to exist apart, you know, right. but for a lot of women, it's one of those things where like, okay, I'm a mom now. Right. So I don't have to worry about those things, which is really saddening because for a lot of them, they just assume that that's, it is, that's what it's going to be. For the women that are having uh, one of one of my more fun populations to work with are the women who are having fecal incontinence because nobody, right. nobody ever talks about shit in your pants. Right. <laughs> like you, you just like, it's not a thing. Well, that's why I'm glad we're talking about it. Like, why is this happening to me? And, and for a lot of women that I've had as clients who've had fecal incontinence, you know, they all every last one of them have always said, I was even embarrassed to tell the physician. Right. But then how are you going to get the help you need if you can't even tell the person or the persons that are going to get you the help? Right. Like you got, you, you've got to be able to, to, to get that out. So I mean, like there, there are quite a few things, peasing, sneezing and peeing. I, I don't even know why that's a word. But it is. We've we've made it popular and apparently normalized it too. So now that's a fun thing. You know, for all my crossfitters, when you're when you're lifting and peeing, when you're double undering, that's a verb, and mm-hmm. peeing. <laughs> when you're jump boxing and peeing, and let's not forget the queefing that happens when you're, you know, upside down, downward dogs, um, handstand push-ups. Yeah you know, around the world, you name it, your butt's up in the air. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, what happened? That wasn't me. Right. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> yeah, it was you don't worry. No alarm. It's called a queen. You know, it's, right. it's like, those are the things that people are just like, what the heck is happening to my body? It's like the aliens came and took over. Right. And there it's either like a reaction of like, let's laugh about it. Or we're so embarrassed that we don't acknowledge it at all. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot exactly. of the sentiments that I've heard over the years, both coaching in person and then online, because a lot of times people haven't been asked a lot of the questions that I ask (laughs) in any other like fitness setting. And they usually see me before they would see you just because they don't even know that you exist, right? Like so many people have no clue that there is pelvic floor physical therapy and that there are pelvic health specialists that can really help from the inside out. And then fitness can help from the outside in. It should be able to work together, but we don't always, people aren't told that that's a route to explore. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. And, and it's, it's sad. I mean, it's, you know, even to the point where you have women that even just, even if they, they aren't experiencing any physical symptoms and they're, you know, they're wanting to return safely to exercise, you know, they're like, well, who do I go to? Mm-hmm. How do they know? I had a mom who um, I was working with. She had a C-section and she went to someone who was a trainer who said, yeah, I work with moms. Right. And started experiencing horrific pain, like abdominally and at her scar. Like she was like, what the heck is going on? And the, the trainer didn't have an answer for her. Right. You know, well, your body just has to get accustomed to it. And, you know, so when I started working with this young lady, I mean, and we're doing scar mobilization, we're doing some visceral work on her abdomen. And then we started doing some like actual functional movement, looking at how she was performing the movement. I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Right. How much abdominal pressure right here? You're not Mm -hmm. managing it well. Let's do this. Let's do this. And she was like, oh, that doesn't hurt. It's not supposed to. That's good. Right. You know, and she was like, oh, wait, you mean I can do these things without pain? Because this was hurting me like two weeks ago. I'm like, yeah, it's not so much what you did, but just how you're doing it. And Absolutely. so once we understand how to do it properly, then we can start to translate that into our fitness activities to the point where you're not having pain. So, again, and a lot of people just they're just not aware. Right. Right. And I mean, I feel like in some ways we've made such amazing strides and then in other ways it still has so much more to grow with people having a little bit more context and awareness around their body, especially after having a baby and reintegrating in a way where they actually know how to listen to their body. Right. Cause yeah. we say, well, let's listen to your body, but we're also kind of told to just push through it and that's normal mm-hmm. and it's okay to experience pain, you know? And it, um, I don't know, it's like hard to admit that there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really hate the the phrase, no pain, no gain. I'm like, if you're hurting, your body's trying to tell you something. Right. So then we have to really look at what you're doing and how you're doing it, as opposed to just hurting for the sake of hurting. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about some misconceptions and also like, what are some healthy bathroom habits? So I want to talk about peeing and like, what's actually normal. Like what is normal bathroom habits for that. And also I like, I have a friend who has to pee all the time and she's never had babies. And, and we, at first it was a joke and then it's become like a serious thing for her where she's like, no, like I legit can't make this drive. We're going to have to pull over and pee quite a few times. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't think people understand that like, that's also a symptom within our pelvic health that we have to be considerate of. So we'll start with yes. peeing before we move on to pooping. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pooping is big time. Um, <laughs> well, with the peeing, you know, it's you want to go to the bathroom. You want to pee five to seven times a day. That's normal. And that's going to translate to about every three to four hours. You should be going to the bathroom. You should, under normal circumstances, not have to wake up at night to go to the bathroom. I mean, once, maybe every now and again, like let's say you had a late, a late meal, something to drink late, you know, prior to going to bed, maybe, but more often than not, even then with a normally functioning bladder, you shouldn't have to wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. So if you're noticing those things, then that's problematic. Similarly, if you are having an urge, usually what happens the way that the the bladder works, because the bladder is a muscle, just like any other muscle, so it can be trained. But when the bladder has reached a certain point, there are some little sensors in there, that, you know, they attach to some nerves and nerves are the messengers to the brain. So when we get to a certain threshold, 
then a message gets sent to the brain saying, hey, the bladder is here. If you are in a position where you can go to the bathroom where it's appropriate, let's say you're not stuck in rush hour traffic on the middle of the interstate <laughs> or something, you're not in the middle of a meeting, you know, you can usually hold it, you know, half hour, even up to an hour and then go when it's more appropriate. So now you're no longer in rush hour. You've made it to your house or if you can't make it that far, you know, you're at least able to, let's say, pull over to a restaurant or something like that. Or if you're in a meeting, you can wait till the end of the meeting and then go. If you are having an urge and as soon as you feel the urge, you have to go to the bathroom or else, that's a problem. Right. That's usually a problem. And that's what that's a sign of urgency. That's what we consider urgency. Similarly, if you do any type of activity under normal circumstances, you jump, you cough, you laugh, you sneeze, somebody tickles you, something like that, you should be able to remain dry throughout all of that without having any issues. So oftentimes what will happen is we'll have people who are going to the bathroom. We call it just in case peeing, you know, like your parents train mm -hmm. you when you're little because they don't want to have to take you to the bathroom when you're a kid because it's inconvenient, right? And nobody wants to go to those bathrooms outside the house because they might be nasty. So, <laughs> so you're like, you better pee before you leave this house. <laughs> and so you're going to the bathroom and that's what you've been accustomed to. So you continue doing that. Oh, I better pee before this happens. I better pee before I go here. And you might have peed like 20 minutes ago. But now you're training yourself to go to the bathroom just in case. Not because your bladder is full, but because you suspect it might be a good thing to do. So what happens is because, again, because the bladder is a muscle, you're now creating these bad habits that then continue and become a norm. And so now your bladder doesn't know any other way to function. So it's normal for your bladder to now want to go at lower thresholds. Like you should be able to hold, you know, up to what is it about 700 milliliters of urine or thereabout. Now you might be like at 200 milliliters and, you know, you're definitely not full capacity, but you've got to go pee. You find like you've got to go pee every hour. You're like, oh, my God, every time I drink a glass of water, it goes right through me. Not normal. Again, you should be able to hold your urine for at least three to four hours. Like not hold your urine, sorry. You should be going to the bathroom every three to four hours. And you should have some capacity to hold off when an urge is present such that you're not having to rush to the bathroom or, you know, pee yourself. I love this because this is stuff that where are we going to learn this from? You know, who's teaching? Definitely that? not your parents that are telling you, you need to go pee before you leave this house. <laughs> right. But like, we just have no context over like what, you know, we potty train and then that's basically it. You know, like there is no other education around your bathroom habits. Mm -hmm. And so now pooping, <laughs> what's normal, Ooh. what's normal there? Cause I know that like, this is really significant for people. I never realized how significant pooping was. It's people. very important. And as a pelvic therapist, I think my husband used to get mad at me because whenever I was not <laughs> at home and he had the kids and they were babies, I will always go, did they poop today? Mm -hmm. What did it look like? And he was like, I'm not looking at their poop. I'm like, well, you're going to have to because I'm not there to look at it. So yeah. what does it look like? Right. And he's like, why do you need to look at their poop? I said, because the poop tells a story. <laughs> he's like, babe, you're nuts. You love, you love your job way too much. <laughs> oh, man. 
Well, I'm in the, the midst of like early potty training or, or yeah, chance potty trained like a couple months ago. So it's still, we're still in the early stages and I feel like I am way too familiar with his bathroom habits. <laughs> I'm telling you, you've, you've got to know what the poop looks like. Even now my kids are seven and five and I'm going every day. Did you poop today? Mm-hmm. You didn't poop today? How much water did you drink? Like, so my kids are programmed. My daughter will come to me. Mommy, I did not drink enough water today. So why are you standing there talking to me? Go get you some water. <laughs> She's like, oh, yes, ma'am. But we, we want to poop five to seven times a week. So ideally you want to poop every day because again, you're eating things, you're ingesting things. It's got to come out. Your body is probably not going to utilize everything you eat. Certainly not going to... um not going to absorb everything you eat, you know, and a lot of that may have to deal with, you know, are we mechanically digesting this stuff? So are you chewing your food enough? You know, are you just gulping? Are you one of these people constantly eating on the run? What, what, what caliber of food are you eating? Are you getting enough fiber? Are you having quality, you know, like lots of green leafy vegetables? Are you eating fruit? Are you staying hydrated? Because that fiber is going to be super helpful to help push things through the gut and through the intestines. So Oftentimes, a lot of people will say, well, I, I don't poop every day. That's been normal for me. Well, it's not normal. And then we want to we wanna look at what you've got going on because usually those constipated individuals tend to be a lot of the ones that have a lot of other problems later on, whether they're, we're talking constipated kids, because I see a lot of kids for that. Those are going to be my bedwetters more often than not. Those are going to be my kids who are you know, who may have um, accidents at school as, you know, with regards to urinating on themselves. So those are things that we need to be mindful of. Um, those are also going to be the people that you tend to find, you know, when they, you know, become adults, they might have accidents too. So you want to make sure that you're pooping. Your poop should be firm. I'm going to ruin food for you guys, but it should be like a sausage. Okay. <laughs> It should be like a sausage, like, like a nut. It shouldn't have cracks in it. If your sausage has cracks, your sausage is too dry, which means you need to drink more water. Okay. It should not be runny. It should not. And it shouldn't be like soft serve ice cream. Like that's a little too soft. I told y'all I was going to ruin food for you. (laughs) Just keep, just keep teaching us. (laughs) (laughs) But it shouldn't be runny. And it shouldn't be too, too soft. And it shouldn't be like pebbles. Like, you know, I don't know how many of you, I grew up on an island. I grew up in Barbados. And so like when the sheep would poop, it was like in little pebbles. (laughs) So if you're pooping pebbles, you probably need to hydrate some more, right? right? And you probably also need a little bit more fiber in your diet. So there's a scale called the Bristol stool scale. It's really good. You can Google it, but you want to be at about a four a five is acceptable, but make sure that your, your every day your poop is not a five. You really want to strive for a four. Any, any extreme, whether a one or a seven, you got problems. We need to do some stuff. So if, you're, if your poop is runny, you know, we got diarrhea-like poop. We, we got to consider a few things. Either we need to bulk your, bulk your food up, bulk your stool up so you need more fiber in your diet. And just because you're having diarrhea does not mean that you still can't be constipated. Uh, because then there's a whole other topic of conversation. I know way too much about poop, but <laughs> then we have to talk about, you know, are you, are you constipated to the point where the rectum is now overly stretched? Then now what we're finding is that you're having bypass diarrhea. Right. So you're having stuff escaping 
but it's really not that stuff is moving through the intestines um, and, and, and then into the rectum appropriately. So we may need to bulk your food up. We may also need to consider um, that you might have an underlying digestive issue going on. Your poop tells you a lot about what's going on in the gut. So do you have an underlying digestive issue? Are we dealing with SIBO? Are we dealing with C4? Are we dealing with IBS? Especially now if we've got other related symptoms. If you are also leaking, then we have a problem because if your rectum is full, it's going to create more pressure in the pelvic cavity. So you may not be able to hold urine as well because now you've got something else bulging on, you know, in that area onto the bladder that's going to cause you to not be able to hold a as much or going to create a sense, an increased sense of urgency because now when the bladder is getting full, you have to go because there's just too much pressure in there. So those are just things to be mindful of. If you're straining to poop, that is a problem. Again, if you're straining, we need to look at, are you having enough fiber in the diet and are you hydrated enough, right? And there are a lot of people who are like, I drink water, a glass does not count <laughs> and you cannot get your fiber from, from cereal. <laughs> like you need to eat some real food, like go get some green leafy vegetables somewhere, go eat some fruit, but you really need to make sure that you're having, having enough fiber. And if that's, you know, if you're like, well, I, I can't do that, then start with, you know, supplementing some fiber in your diet. There's Benefiber, there's Metamucil, there's Psyllium husk, um, you can use flax seeds, you know, put them in your smoothie, you can use chia seeds. I love to make chia pudding. It's almost like, and I make chocolate chia pudding, which is really just chia seeds and chocolate almond milk. I take them and I put them in the blender so the seeds can kind of get ground up real nice. I put that in the refrigerator to sit for an hour or two, and then I take it out and I eat it. And it's just like you're eating yogurt or chocolate pudding. It's about the same consistency. Really awesome. But it's a good way to fortify your poops so that, you know, they come out a lot easier and you're not straining. If you're also straining um, on the toilet, that can lead to other issues. So now we're talking you know, you're really bearing down, you're really forcing, that's going to exacerbate for the postpartum mom, that's where your prolapse is worsening or developing because you may not have had one immediately after birth. But then if you found that, you know, all of a sudden, it's months after your birth, but all of a sudden, you're having, you know, somebody's telling you you've got prolapse, or you're having this pressure, or you're having this pain, then why is that? What is it that you were doing? Um, that might have caused this. So now we got to look at, and, and your poop can be one of them. I mean, there could be a few other things, but your poop could be one of them. So if you're constantly straining, that can cause it. The other thing that it can do is that you're really exacerbating those pelvic floor muscles. So now you may find that if you are straining a lot, you know, that may create a problem futuristically, you know, if you're doing it for prolonged periods when you're trying to poop as well. So you just want to be mindful of toilet health. I always tell people, you know, again, nutrition, drink your water, eat your fiber. When you're sitting on the toilet, use a step stool. You know, everybody's heard about squatty potty with the little rainbow um, yeah. unicorn, which I love. <laughs> real cute. But if you don't have a squatty potty, you know, you can go to like five below. You can go to the dollar store, wherever, and get right. you like the little step stools that you'll use for the kids so they can stand and wash their hands at the sink or whatever. Put your feet up on one of those. We just need anything that's going to elevate your knees higher than your hips, which puts your body, uh, creates a better angle for the poop to come out. Right. You know, so we want to just put you in the best position so that you're not straining, so that you're not bearing down, so you're not putting more pressure on these pelvic floor muscles. 
especially postpartum. So we definitely don't want to do that. Right. I find for me, like I feel the most off when I'm traveling, whether it's just for a weekend or if I'm gone for a week. And so I know that even if you're like a regular, like everything is typically regular for you when you're out of your typical routine, then you find yourself constipated or uncomfortable. Like I just get super bloated and then like that's, mm-hmm. that, that sucks. I hate feeling so bloated and then it's uncomfortable and then I'm grumpy and then I get really mad because I'm just like, I just feel terrible. I feel horrible. That used to happen to me when I would travel. One of the things that I do is when I go away, I usually take the little pack. So I, I love sprouts. You can go to Whole Foods, you can go to Trader Joe's, but they have the little packets of the magnesium comp and you can just get that. Mm-hmm. And I usually will take, like I take one for every day that I'm gone. So if I'm going to go for four days, I've got four of those little packets and I'll drink one every day. But I found that that just helps a little bit better um, with me going to the bathroom. I also try to be very conscious of how much water I'm drinking when I'm gone. Right. Because that also tends to help a lot. Oftentimes when our routine changes, you know, it can lend itself to things like that. Like you travel, you're in an airplane, you know, you're, you're in meetings all the time. And so you're not, you know, you're eating on the go, things like that. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, you just have to be more conscious and kind of, you know, try as much as you can, as best as you can to kind of do things that will help to not keep you backed up. Right. That was something that I'm like, God, I never paid attention to this before, but now I'm so cognizant of just how everything is functioning. I'm so aware of my periods and my cycle. I'm so aware of like my bowel movements and, oh, yeah. and my pee and just like everything, right? You just mm-hmm. like, cause it's a part of being a woman and a healthy human that we have to shift our focus to a little bit more. It's not just about what we're eating and exercising, you know, it's mm-hmm. how, how's everything else functioning, right? Oh yeah. I know I'm preaching Absolutely. to the choir here. <laughs> Absolutely. And that thing called sleep, which is a whole nother conversation. Boy, sleep, oh yeah. I tell you. Yeah. It still eludes me. One day I'll get some. <laughs> <laughs> One day. I know. I I... Wrangling children. I'll get some. Someday. Someday it'll be a lot quieter in our house when that happens, right? <laughs> Will it ever happen though? Apparently, once they turn 18, they don't leave. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they stay for the food. <laughs> right? I know. I know. Okay, so let's move into talking about farting and leaking. And I see, yeah, because in my DMs, this is how people slide into my DMs, right? We're talking. <laughs> So I farted today. That's that's what I put out there these days, I guess, is, you know, people feel very like free to share everything with me. It's just actually, I feel really great about that, especially like my lifters and with, you know, weight belts and stuff like that. And they're like, so I won't tell anyone this, but can I ask you, like, have you worked with anyone who either has like a hard time holding in their farts or feel like they need to more or uh, charts a little bit during their lifts? So can you shed some light (laughs) on maybe why this is happening in weightlifting and exercise or just in life? So with weightlifting, that's probably an easier easier topic to to tackle immediately, especially when you're lifting heavy. We we have to consider that heavy lifting, it puts your body under pressure, uh, which is not such a bad thing. But the, the underlying issue is can you tolerate and handle that pressure? Mm -hmm. And so our ways to tolerate and handle that pressure, like if we're talking 
a back squat. You know, let's say you were squatting, you know, your body weight or something like that. Maybe right. it's a new lift. Maybe it's a one rep max. It's, it's a heavy load. And as you are going through that, because it's a heavy load and it's typically something that your body is not going to handle on a regular basis, what you find is now you've got to try to figure out how to counter that pressure. Most people will try to breath hold on a heavier lift. Most mm-hmm. people will wear a belt on a heavier lift. But usually we're not thinking about what's happening at our pelvic floor. So if we've got, sometimes it's not so much that you have a pelvic floor issue with weakness because you may only notice those issues with the heavier lifts. Mm -hmm. And if you're intuitive enough, you'll notice when it's happening. And if it is with the heavier lifts, then really and truly what you need to do is back off a little bit and start to retrain to build back up to that. Because what's happening is your body is not handling it efficiently. And so your your pelvic floor, your body, your pelvic floor is not generating enough force to counter that, that abdominal pressure that you're generating as a result of having to counter the pressure of the weight. And so it's like, oh, the system is failing a little bit. And so now we're having escape gas or we're leaking a little bit. So one of the things that I usually do when I'm working with lifters is we look at where are you having the breakdown? So they're like, if when I'm lifting heavy, okay, well, what can you lift without leaking? Oh, well, you know, like if I'm lifting, like maybe a a five rep max, I'm okay. Let's start there. Let's start there. We got to turn that five rep max into a higher volume. So let's try to turn that into a 10 rep max. So let's work, let's work within a few pounds of that and let's build you up. Now let's go up to about 10 pounds higher than what was your five rep max. Right. See how many reps you can do there. But we want to kind of drop back a little bit, work in the zone that you can work in comfortably, right? And look at getting some success there and building you up from there and then taking you back up. It doesn't make any sense going into like the higher list and you can't control it because that's, it's kind of like working with the diastasis, you know? I'm doming. When are you doming? What are you doing when you're doming? All, right. all the doming is telling me is your body cannot adequately handle the pressure that's, that's occurring right, right now. Right. So, if that's the case, it doesn't mean that we don't have to do what we're doing. We might have to just do it differently. Right. So let's scale back a little bit. Let's get you in positions or have you doing movements where you're not doming. And then let's then move forward from there. Right. So that that's usually what happens there with, with people other than lifters. When they're <laughs> having any loss of gas, usually queefing, it's usually because that pelvic floor is weak. And so they're not able to hold and queefing is different than a fart. So, you know, there's some, uh, what do they call them? Zarps or something? I don't know. There's some other name for them. They're so like, I don't know where they come up with these things, but a queef (laughs) is like a vaginal fart. Vart. Maybe it's a vart. I don't know. (laughs) And so what's happening is that you've got air trapped in the vagina. So yoga, oh my God, the yoga enthusiasts, especially, Mm -hmm. because you know, yoga is this, mindful, peaceful. So can you imagine being in a yoga studio and all of a sudden hearing something that sounds like a foghorn? I mean, (laughs) you know, that's not peaceful anymore. The peace has just left the room. So, you know, you can understand the embarrassment, but a lot of the time it happens because air is trapped in the vagina. And oftentimes if we're talking like, say something like yoga, it's happening because usually the butt is being elevated. So we go from like, say, a cobra, we come back up to a downward dog, you know, and on that transition of moving the butt up in the air, 
we get some air coming in and now it's trapped and you try to move again and everything escapes, makes this lovely loud foghorn sound. So what you want to do is be mindful of that. If you, the first thing of anything is just be mindful of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Don't try to dismiss it. Be, be aware, be mindful of it. But now if we notice that it's happening and it, for instance, if it's happening with that movement, then we want to try to engage the muscles actively. So actively engage the pelvic floor because now as you're going up, that's going to stop that rush of air from coming into the vagina. Um, so that's a really good way to just be more in tuned. It means it might mean you have to work a little bit harder, especially if the pelvic floor muscles are weak. Same thing with people who, if they're doing like a repeated squat movement, as they get into the deeper parts of that squat, you know, that pelvic floor may not be able to hold as much, you know, they, they're giving out a little bit. So now it's easier for air to be trapped. And so now when they go up, maybe they come down the second time when that pelvic floor gives out again, air comes out. And so now they're hearing these sounds. So just being more mindful. So now if we realize that it's a range thing, I can control my body up until this range. Well, then let's start working on strengthening in that range and then progressing to a different range um, just to kind of keep the success going. Right. And like coaches and athletes who are listening to this, I hope that you're kind of able to connect the dots that rehab and being mindful of your function from the inside out is the same kind of concept that we apply to exercise in general. It is a true progressive overload approach and knowing when is it time to take a step back? When is it a time to progress? And we're looking and listening and asking for a lot of feedback with the people that we're working with. So I think that we sometimes it's easy. We think that they're like two totally separate things, but there's so much that we can do, I guess, from, um, from a movement standpoint to keep people moving in a way that they want to move just with a lot more self-awareness and body awareness and especially their pelvic health. Well, yeah. And you know, I'm a big proponent of, you know, I, if, if an athlete is coming to me, I'm not going to be the one to tell them to stop. Right. You know, and, and granted it depends. Cause I have had, I remember when I was still in New York, I had a, um, a professional ballet dancer come to me and she's like, I have a performance. It's in this amount of time. And this is the problem I've got. And I was like, what have you done so far? And so basically for her, I'm like, here's what you're dealing with. Cause you've got to be in point. <laughs> mm-hmm. You've got to be up on your toes a lot. This is problematic. Cause you can't get up there very well. Cause that does not look really good. So here's the problem. We can patch you so you can perform. I can't tell you what's going to happen or if you're going to be able to hold, but we can try to patch you. Likelihood is you're going to be out after that performance. And I can't tell you for how long and you run the risk of hurting yourself or we can kind of take it down a notch. You might miss this performance, but you got the whole rest of of this season and these performances to go. It really depends on what you want to do and the choice is yours. So we can patch you for this one. But if this is, if this is, you know, whether that's a competition for an athlete, you know, it could be a major competition coming. I really got to participate in this, in this tournament or this event or this race. All right. If, if it's that important to you and it could be, you know, like I tell people all the time, you might be dealing with a professional athlete and that's their livelihood. And that's, that's how they feed their families. That's fine. If if this is a money-making championship event, and we've got to get you right. able to participate in that. Let's do it. Just know you might be out the rest of the season. Right. Can, can you live with that? Or can you forego this event for, you know, just to fix this problem and then still have the rest of the season? So with that, you know, I, th- that'll probably be the only time I will tell an athlete, hey, this, these are the things we have to consider. But other than that, it's usually just let's look at what you need to do 
Let's look at what's happening when you do it and let's scale accordingly so that we can get you progressing back up to that point. Right. Absolutely. And I I think that you know, it's hard because we see a lot of high-level athletes that, well, maybe you and I do, that are experiencing some symptoms and, you know, it's it's overwhelming because they don't want to have to stop. And so I think the message is if you're a marathoner who's experiencing diarrhea at mile like 22, like there's things that we can do to make sure that on your next marathon, that's not happening to you. That's not part of your like long distance runs even though maybe it has been historically for you, mm-hmm. that there's hope there. If you queef when you're at yoga, there's a few like small adjustments we can do to create more of that self-awareness that's already preached in yoga. It's like, this is just a whole, whole new angle of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And then with like our lifters, crossfitters or whoever, you know, if you're peeing during double unders or you're peeing when you're lifting, we can manipulate the range of motion. We can change how you're breathing. We can, you know, add a weight belt strategically if we need to, and you can still do the stuff that you want to do just with a lot more awareness that it's not, it's not like all or nothing. It's like, well, if you don't want to pee when you lift, then you have to stop lifting. It's not that you can still lift heavy. You can still progress. It's just making a lot of these changes. And I hope that's what you guys are hearing when we're talking about some of these adjustments and scaling back in order to move forward. Yeah. We're going to transition here into sex. Let's talk about sex. (laughs) I mean, I'm glad you're seeing that because I thought about it and then I was like, (laughs) no, I shouldn't, but I'm glad you did. (laughs) Our jobs are so fun. I mean, mine just makes me laugh all the time. like. How did I end up here? <laughs> okay. Know, right. Like my mother so, was like, do you really talk to people about sex all day long? Essentially. I'm like, mom, I told her one day, I'm like, mom, I am like elbow deep in vagina all day. And she just busted out laughing. She was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, and it's like, I'm, I'm a doctor. I'm mm-hmm. a professional and I'm up in vaginas all day. I know. Okay. I, I've now gotten to the point in like my friendships and my conversations with friends where like I bought my friend a vibrator for Christmas and I was like, am I not the best friend ever or what? Like, <laughs> it's like truly the friend. gift that keeps on giving. Keeps so, on giving. Yeah. So within that scope, we're going to talk about <laughs> sex. So what are some of the sex and or pleasure related concerns and symptoms that you see as a physical therapist and how can physical therapy help with sex and pleasure? Oh man. I actually wrote that question down because I knew I would. There's a lot. So, I mean, (laughs) we could, I see clients. So usually in my clinic, majority of the people who are coming to me are having pain with intercourse. There is some type of pain, whether, and and there are a lot of different names for a lot of different reasons. So whether it is that they are having, you know, pain on penetration. So initially, you know, it's like, they, it's like, oh man, it's really hard for him to insert the penis. So maybe a, a little bit of, um, and, and the general name for pain with sex is dyspareunia. So whether it's being caused, you know, on insertion because of something like a vestibulodynia or something like that, whether it's being, uh, you know, they're feeling the pain deeper. So because of some pelvic floor, maybe there's their postpartum, there's some scar tissue there. Uh, maybe there's a pudendal nerve issue. Maybe they're having um, persistent genital arousal disorder where they're just, you know, constantly aroused. Maybe that's painful. 
Uh, maybe they're having clitoral pain. Like I, so I see women for quite a number of things and men too, but I see people for quite a number of things related to intercourse and majority of what I'm seeing them for is pain. Can pelvic floor therapy help? Absolutely. The first thing is really to assess the cause of the pain. So there are some times when, you know, a person may be having pain oftentimes and I assess them and it's like, okay, you do have some pelvic floor dysfunction going on, but because of these other things, we need to send you to this specialist just to make sure that we're getting those things addressed appropriately. But oftentimes the pelvic floor muscles are involved. If you've got somebody that's constantly gripping, if you've got pelvic floor muscles that are constantly engaged, that can also create a a negative feedback loop wherein because the muscles are so tight, you know, now that blood supply is compromised to those muscles. Now the oxygen supply to those muscles is compromised and that elicits a pain response and it just kind of cycles and cycles and cycles. So now you're just constantly having this pain in the area and then sex becomes painful. And so we as pelvic floor physical therapists, when we're working with individuals who are reporting these things, we're looking at, you know, the muscles, you know, we have to get these muscles to relax. Again, I always tell people, we have to look at awareness. What is your awareness with these muscles? The muscles need to be able to relax, but they also need to be able to shorten and they need to be able to lengthen. And oftentimes with those people, they've shortened quite a bit. They have a hard time relaxing and they can't get them to lengthen. So we do a lot of manual type therapy. We also instruct people in being able to do this on their own, you know, whether they're doing it with a wand or without a wand. We look at movement and different strategies, especially as it relates to breathing to better accommodate the physiologic changes that we need, especially with regards to calming the nervous system down. Because again, for a lot of people having these problems, more often than not, it's a chronic thing. So it's not something that they're they're dealing with in the immediate time. Like, you know, it's not like for a lot of postpartum women who especially, you know, let's say they're anywhere from, you know, three months to six months outside of having a baby, uh, that the reason for this is because they had the baby. So now we're also possibly dealing with scar tissue. Oftentimes, you know, if, if it's not a postpartum mom or if they're years removed from, from childbirth, now this, this has become a lot more chronic. And so what we have to do oftentimes is calm the nervous system down because there's just too much going on. There's, there's a lot of input going on. If it is a pudendal nerve issue, Sometimes you can have these issues postpartum, you know, whereby the nerve could be overly stretched and therefore compromised because of the birthing process. And so now women are having a lot of pain. They're having a lot of discomfort. They can't sit down. And that's usually one of my telltale signs for a lot of these people too, who are having pain with intercourse. Like, how's sitting? <laughs> right. They're like, what? Like, well, it hurts, but where do you hurt when you sit? You know, um, because they don't, a lot of people don't tie them together and no one has ever asked them, you know, then you also look at things like, what is, you know, are you, are you having any vaginal dryness? You know, oftentimes my, my breastfeeding mamas will report more often than not, because they're the ones who they're breastfeeding. And so the estrogen levels are going to be slightly lower, but they're not told, you know, that this may, this may result in them feeling a little bit more vaginal dryness and then how to address it. You know, let's make sure that we're lubricating. Sometimes women feel that if they've got to use lubricant, that they're not enough of a woman. And I'm like, oh no, it just makes stuff more fun. (laughs) Then you get to play with which type of lubricant you use, things like that, making sure that if they need it, 
again, you know, sensory deficits are another thing that I see, um, especially in the postpartum period. You just had a baby, some stuff has been stretched, maybe some of those those nerves have been compromised, and now we're lacking some sensation. So whereas you once might have been easily aroused, you're finding that you're not as easily aroused. Whereas you once might have orgasmed with vaginal penetration, you're finding that, wait, sex just didn't feel the same. You know, well, what is that reason? You know, what's going on? So now we have to take a look. We're, you know, so we're also doing a sensory assessment as pelvic floor therapists to make sure that the nerves in the area are functioning the way that they should. And then, you know, helping these people through that, giving them the strategies that they need to be able to enjoy sex, you know, and, and one of my favorites, I tell them, you have a vibrator? Yeah, let's just talk about that. You know, yeah. uh, I'm always giving them resources. Sometimes I might use like a vibrating pelvic wand um, so that as they're doing any type of release work, they're also getting that additional stimulus of the vibration right. to help cue them into and, and create more awareness in the area and kind of for lack of a better expression, wake the nerves up a little bit more so that they're getting a little bit more input or using a vibrator to be able to do that. So again, they're getting a little bit more input. So sometimes those things can come in really, really handy. They're not only for good foreplay. (laughs) Right. And I think too, there's just so much to be said for women just getting familiar with their own anatomy and like what Mm -hmm. works for them just with themselves instead of counting on a partner to figure that out for them. Like, and then again, this is not something that was taught to me or my friends <laughs> or anyone, but it just became this. If you're really going to understand your body and how it works, you have to be the expert on it. You have to know what's like, what works and like what doesn't, what you like, what you don't like, mm-hmm. and be able to communicate that. And then it makes it so much easier to know when something isn't totally right and communicate that with a professional or with your partner and having that self-awareness. And I told you after, um, on our, when we first were chatting about after having surgery, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, um, I need to have an orgasm by myself before I even like let my husband go anywhere near me. I don't understand how my body feels now. Like that's just, a, it's, you know, like a lot of pressure, a lot of force. And that's, I feel like that has to be an experience that you, I guess, figure out on your own before you then are maybe more insecure or heightened or, you know, it's just, it's harder when there's another person involved sometimes to like let that guard down and be really vulnerable. So oh, it's yeah. just a conversation that I think women need permission to know their body in that capacity. Well, masturbation is such a nasty word, isn't it? And it I tell carries people like, like a com- weird shame it's, taboo. It's so much shame, and it. But I tell people, I'm like, masturbation is just a word. You know, it's it's like when I tell people, I want you for your homework today to go home, get a handheld mirror, get comfortable, <laughs> pack yourselves up on some pillows, be absolutely naked, and look at your vulva. And there's some people I can right. tell that to. There's not everyone I can tell that to. There's some people who I might have to start out just standing in a full length mirror, fully clothed. Right. And then tell them, you know, every day I want you to take off one more layer of clothing. Totally. One more layer of clothing until you are completely naked and you're okay looking at the person who's looking back at you. And yeah. then we can get into some of the other stuff. But when they get to the point where I'm like, okay, I want you to actually look at your vulva and be familiar with your anatomy. Then I want you to palpate your own anatomy. I want you to take a finger. This is not sexual. I want you to take a finger and I want you, I'm going to give you a a picture 
this a picture of your vulva and I want you to look at the picture and you're going to mimic it. So this is the labia, labia majora. Mm -hmm. This is your labia minora. This is your clitoris. Your clitoral hood should be able to retract a little bit, you know, and I want you to get familiar <clears throat> with, with your body. Because the thing is, is that when we think of, of coming into contact, like I can touch my knee. If you see me touch my knee, you wouldn't think any less of me. If I told you I touched my vagina, you're like, oh, God. I know. You know? Well, and, and you know, and, and it's like people, I think, too, haven't looked at their vulva until they think something's wrong, right? Something's wrong. Have you, I, I know that's what I hear a lot. And the work that Haley Shevner does with pop-up lift, like where bringing a little bit more awareness to what different vulvas look like. And mm -hmm. a lot of people, especially people who have prolapse are saying, well, wait, was that there before? I don't know. Did that used to be there? I don't know. And they ask their husband or their partner and they're like, do you remember it looking like this? But they did not have the context around just their basic like anatomical structure for their body. Nevertheless, comparing it to a diagram on the internet which is confusing to compare and contrast to. So I think there's just so much value, whether you've had babies or not, or you've had one baby and you'd like to have four more to just have context for what your get unique anatomy is. Girl, get, get to know how she's <laughs> doing. Say hey every now and again, you know? Right. Tell her hi. Well, absolutely. And even I remember I went to um, a mastermind event with Tracy Sher. And I got to pretend, you know, I was like a pelvic floor physical therapist and sit in on an assessment, which was great because we looked at what different vaginas looked like and where, where am I going to get that education, right? Mm -hmm. Like, no, my education was like in barbells and coaching, like not looking at vaginas. So it was, they were laughing at my, my innocence, but um, <laughs> just saying too, monitoring what your vulva and your vagina looks like and feels like as you age. And that was like really an interesting point for me. Cause I'm like, Oh, I guess that is part of it too, is understanding your health in that capacity as you get older and what the tissue should be like and how it should look and feel what's again, normal or on the spectrum of that normal. And I don't know, it's just, it's such a thing that is not talked about. It, it's not, it's funny because I remember working in the hospital and when I would see clients who are pelvic health clients or, you know, and oftentimes they had a little bit more going on if they were in the hospital, especially if they were admitted. But then we're also discussing bowel and bladder habits and things of that sort. And I would often get called in for those things. And it's so funny. I remember like all my, all my older gentlemen that had, you know, enlarged prostates and stuff like that. It was really hard because if you, you have some of them that like literally like their penises would disappear because their prostate was so enlarged. I'm like, what the heck? Mm. And I, I'm like, how are you married? And your wife is not like aware. Of, like, how, how is this something we're now finding out is happening? Right. Like, why is nobody looking at it? And I, told, I came home one day and told my husband, I was like, honey, every day I'm going to look at you. Okay. If and your penis disappears, I will know. And he's like, what the heck? I know. <laughs> but, but I'm like, like, listen, you should be thankful. You've got somebody to look at it every day. Right. But it's like, and I say it in jest, but you know, we really need to be aware and, and not, not just think, I think our society has done such a great job of shaming us, you know, and making us feel like less than for wanting to know. So we, so we tell kids, don't talk about it. We give pet names to genital anatomy. Right. We do all these things as a way to get away from it. But the reality is 
that's your body. Those are your body parts. It's no different than your arm, your leg, your foot, your ankle, like your vulva, your genitals. They're part of who you are. Like you need to claim them. You need to own them. And you got to take care of them because you only got one vulva. Right. So you got to make sure it works. <laughs> right. So if somebody is experiencing just pain or discomfort with sex, or if they can't orgasm, there's maybe they've had a surgery and things are different now. Who do you suggest to them going to a pelvic floor physical therapist and like who else is part of that team to help navigate that situation? So your pelvic floor physical therapist, you don't need a prescription to see a pelvic floor PT. We've got direct access. Whereas in a lot of states, especially if you are, you know, with the insurance, you may need to go through a primary care physician, sometimes even just to see a gynecological specialist. Mm -hmm. Um, You might be going to a regular GYN and they may not necessarily be, you know, specialized in that, or they may need to send you elsewhere, especially if there are more complex things going on. Like, you know, for instance, lichen sclerosis, your vestibulodynia, your lichen simplex chronicus, or any of the vulvovaginal type disorders too. Mm -hmm. But if you're having problems, I would say go to a pelvic PT, have that assessment and start talking about what's going on because they can always point you in the right direction. Not to mention, they probably know the specialist that you need to go to. So if it is a vulvovaginal specialist, if it is a sex med doctor, you know, if it is someone that does specific treatments for specific types of things, you know, then they can get you there. If it is that you need to see, you might need to see a sex therapist, they can get you there. So I, I think, I think having, having at least a pelvic PT is great. Your general GYN, start talking to your GYN, having these mm-hmm. conversations, you know, when you go to see them, you know, how comfortable are you discussing X, Y, Z? Because if they're not comfortable talking about sex, if they're not comfortable talking about treatment options, then you might start need to start reconsidering who you're seeing. You know, there are there are a lot of hundred percent. There are a lot of gynecologists who may their first recommendation is always going to be surgery. You know, they're they're not talking treatment options with you. They're not they're not helping you or allowing you to make an informed decision. And these are considerations that you need to really be aware of when you're out there seeking help. Um, Like I was talking to someone else earlier, even we were talking about endometriosis and Mm -hmm. how not all GYNs are created equally. So if you're having pelvic pain, you're having these symptoms, you know, it takes seven to 10 years before some of these women with endo are diagnosed. Same thing with women with chronic pelvic pain, you know, who are having pain with intercourse, you know, they can't have fulfillment with the partner. It takes them seeing sometimes upwards of 10 physicians before someone can get them pointed in the direction that they need to go, which is crazy. It is so crazy. And I remember I didn't even know like what endometriosis was. I, we recorded a, an episode with Sally Sorrell. So she's mm-hmm. she's on this podcast too. And so if any of you are listening of endometriosis, we do have an episode on that where we went over it. But yeah, it's oh, just, there's yeah. so many, she's great. And there's so many people that are living these experiences going, what's wrong? And just having to like jump through every hoop just mm-hmm. to get answers and being led in so many different directions. And so if you can find a good pelvic floor physical therapist, that is usually like your go-to person to know all the people that can extend and help you from there. Like I'm a big, like no BS. I don't want any BS. Just give me the facts, give me the people and then help set me out on my journey from there. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what, that's what you do so well. That's what so many different physical therapists are able to do and coaches 
we can be those point people so that if you are experiencing anything related to your health and wellness, again, this goes so far beyond exercise and nutrition. This is your quality of life and your quality of aging. And that's what I think gets lost in translation when we're like, oh, well, sex is painful, but it's, it's okay. Or I only pee during this or when I sneeze or whatever. But what is that going to all look like when you're 60 and wanting to be a really active grandma? What is that going to look like as you get older and you want to be an independent adult? So what can we do now mm-hmm. early on in life to manage our health in every way? Yeah, and we definitely don't talk enough about pelvic floor and pelvic health in the aging populations because mm-hmm. falls are a leading cause of hospital of nursing home admission for the elderly and one of the reasons for those falls, one of the top reasons for those falls is not even orthopedic issues. It is because they have trips going to the bathroom. Right. Because they're getting up two, three, four, five times a night. Right. So we've never addressed an underlying bladder issue or a pelvic floor issue. And now they're getting up to go to the bathroom. And here's grandma laid out on the bathroom floor. Totally. You know, at two o'clock in the morning. Now she has a broken hip, you know, and now she lands herself in a sniff. And all that stuff could have been avoided or could have at least been remedied. Right. Yeah. This, this conversation expands in so many different directions. And I know that we really have just like touched the surface of it and there's so much more where this comes from. So I'm really excited to get feedback on this episode and maybe do some more with you because I think, I think there's a lot, there's a lot that just has not been talked about, has not been talked about openly and also hasn't been talked about in a way that's like relatable, you know, for coaches and for athletes. And like, we don't talk about this stuff, you know, like blinders on, but no, like we need to, because this is, if we're truly pursuing a healthy lifestyle, this is part of it. Having a healthy sex life and bowel habits and just self-awareness is so key. Can't wait to talk about all the runners that are crapping their pants. Yeah. I mean, that, that is literally a whole episode. That is a Anyway, can you tell us where we can find more about you and what you offer and just some of your services? Absolutely. So I am, you can find me on at www.jmmhealthsolutions.com, Facebook, facebook.com slash jmmhealthsolutions, youtube.com slash jmmhealthsolutions. On Instagram, my handle is at the pelvic perspective. And I, you know, if you want to book appointments, you can do it directly from the website. Every, all the information is there. I have a few programs on the website as well for moms. I have a program for moms who are dealing with, or women rather, who are dealing with pubic symphysis dysfunction during pregnancy and also one for women after they've had a cesarean birth. So that one's called Caring for Your Body After a Cesarean Birth. And we're going to have the sex one up soon. Yay! Your best sex life. So we're going to have that one up soon. Um, We're recording that now. Yeah, for those people who have questions, I offer a you know a fifteen minute complimentary call for people who have questions or concerns, need to be pointed in a direction, want to schedule an appointment, kind of want to know if it's a good fit. Um, I do virtual sessions, I do in person sessions. If you're here locally in the Atlanta metro, I do my office is in Duluth, so just outside of Atlanta, and I also do home visits. So. All my pregnant mamas, because I don't feel pregnant mamas need to leave the house unless absolutely necessary. Like if you don't feel like going anywhere, you shouldn't have to go anywhere. You're just a wonderful human. I love it. I'm so impressed. And I've definitely learned a lot today. And I'm really grateful for your willingness to share and 
and break up down all of this stuff for us. I think it's, there's so much more where it came from. And thank you. Thank you so, so much for having me. My pleasure. All right, guys, be sure to check her out and I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you are a postpartum athlete and you're really trying to figure out what next, what does my return to fitness look like? What do I do about my core, my pelvic floor? How do I get back into the movements I want to do in a way that I feel really confident about? I have you covered because I know exactly what it's like to be where you are as a coach, as an athlete, and as a mom. So I want you to download six exercises for the first six weeks postpartum. It's a free resource and it just goes over everything that I think is really important to take into consideration during those early weeks postpartum. Now, if you're ready to begin more of an exercise program, say you've been cleared by your doctor or midwife, I have a eight week postpartum athlete training program, which acts as the perfect entry back into fitness, into the gym, into the kind of movement that you want to do where it's still respecting the changes your body has gone through and how your baby was delivered, but it really helps connect your rehab into the kind of fitness that you want to do in a way that's relatable and fun and exactly what your body needs right now on behalf of your long-term function and performance.